Warning! What follows is a story of monsters, madness, and mayhem. I'm Nick. I'm Zach. Welcome to Weird and Feared, a barely educational podcast about global folklore that aims to enlighten, entertain, and expand your world. Discovery builds upon discovery, upon discovery, upon discovery. The past becomes the present. Duh. Yeah. Right? Typically. Kind of how it goes. As far as I know. Right? That's kind of things progress, you know, time inches forward. Mm -hmm. History comes together to shape our contemporary world in strange ways. We may start with a tiny circuit, but then... A hundred years later, through development and advancement, we're staring in the eyes of a fully functioning robot. Ooh. But don't worry, we're not talking about robots tonight. Oh. Robot, I guess it was almost going to be like a robot month. That's on pause. <coughs> we've, we've halted the, the robot. We, we'll get back to the robots. Yeah. They'll, they'll be in our future. Right. Just like, you know, AI, probably. It's terrifying. I mean, right, it's going to, and I, I plan to get into all the actual current advancements as much as I can when I d delve into that, and I just want to make everybody real scared, Yeah, because yeah. Uh, they're coming for all of us. But uh, this week we ain't talking about robots, all right. but it is a good example of how technology uh, grows. It's like the best example of how technology grows, but also just how, you know, the past becomes the present. Okay, yeah. Like I said, history comes together to shape our contemporary world. In strange ways, ways that aren't fully apparent until the present has arrived. Looking back, it's easy to see how it all came together, but going through the motions, it's almost impossible to predict where any of these paths may lead. In 1492, Christopher Columbus reached the Americas. That's not what he thought, though. No, back then it was heralded as a discovery, which was a shock to the millions of people already living there. <laughs> <laughs> yep, probably. Hey, look what I found. Yeah, it's my front yard. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, well. Well, his arrival began a wave of European exploration and expanded what it meant to be an empire. 400 years later, the world would celebrate his voyage to and arrival at the New World in the great city of Chicago, Illinois, at the Chicago World's Fair, also known as the Columbian Expedition. Hmm. But don't let Columbus's inclusion bum you out. Location, location, location. Let's focus on the location of this event. Let's focus for just a moment on the Chicago part. All right. Because you see, Chicago had its own something to prove, much like Columbus, but maybe not as aggressive. Chicago, Chicago gets aggressive, though. Let's it gets not, pretty aggressive. Let's not talk about I mean, we'll stay focused. Tunnel yeah. vision right now, focused. Yep. Because, of course, this great city had something of its own to prove. After being ravaged in the Great Chicago Fire of 1871. During that fire, that great, great fire. That, that cow kicked the... Uh, mm -hmm. the allegedly. Yeah. Miss, uh, Miss, o Miss O'Houlihan's cow. Is it O'Houlihan? No, it's not. No, it's something like that, though. <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's, it's O'Leary. Oh, yeah. But I was just thinking about a man with bare hands milking a cow right. for a second, because yeah, yeah. that's where this podcast Oof. goes. Yeah. The cow would not enjoy... I mean, I guess maybe it'd be done faster. 
if you had mutant bare hands and you were milking a cow. I don't know. I, t- I probably need udders. thumbs. That's true. I mean, if you if it's so big, it's just kind of like. I don't know. No one can see the bare hand gesture I'm making right now. But no, they can't. It's not. I can though. It was good. It was all right. <laughs> imagine that around a sick udder. I, I don't want to imagine that. <laughs> nope. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, but during that fire, 17,500 buildings were destroyed and 300 people lost their lives. But that was then. This was now. This was 1893. Chicago was back and it wanted to flex to the world. Hell yeah. Chicago outlobbied New York, St. Louis, and Washington, D.C. to host the event, in large part because Chicago's ruling class was able to raise a more substantial amount of funds to host the event. Money has always been power. Mm-hmm. Well, New York offered to spend $15 million to finance the event, famous Chicagoans such as Charles Yerkes, who was responsible for buying up all of Chicago's railways and developing further public transportation system. We kind of owe the Ellen stuff to him, to his legacy. Good job. Cool. Good job, Yerkes. Yeah. Marshall Field. Well, I mean. Heard of that guy. Yeah, wholesale and retail magnet. You know, back in the day, retail wasn't his main. He never got to live long enough to see retail make more money than wholesale. He was just selling wholesale goods to everybody. Huh. He never got to see the true height of his capitalist empire. And now it's dead. So, hey, good job, everybody. Yeah. Good job. There was also Philip Armour, a meatpacking mogul. Gustavus Franklin Swift, another meatpacking leader who commissioned the design of a refrigerated meatpacking car, huh. therefore revolutionizing the transportation of said goods across the country and world. Good old Gustav. I took a dive down into meatpacking trailers. Why did I? I mean, Zach, I was off. I don't know why I did that. Well, I was like, well, what's different about this? Well, this is cool. Oh, I see. So you put the ice you put the ice above the meat, so then the cold air sinks and cools it better. Makes sense. Otherwise, but you see, they took like eight tries to figure that out. They were, I mean, why? They, they'd like put them to the side, or they'd put the meat up against the ice, and it would just, you know, burn it, you know, you know, huh. freezer burn it. So then it would taste like shit. So I mean, like, maybe, that's bad. maybe we know all that because of their mistakes. We do. We've again because that sounds not like something that should no, got messed up that many times. To no, me. I, I'm sure the first thought was like meat make cold, put on ice. Oh fuck, we ruined it. All right, try again. Let's add some space. Yeah. Again, the past became the present, and we just got to we got to um we we reap the rewards. We did their mistakes. And uh, correct. And well, speaking of reaping. Cyrus Hall McCormick Jr., whose family became wealthy for their agricultural technology, which gave them the nickname the Reaper Kings. Oh, wow. I, it's funny because I didn't know that was a nope, thing. No, but hey, right there on cue almost. Look at me. Yeah. And also, <laughs> also, it's a family called the Reaper Kings, which that sounds... That sounds... That sounds... It does sound like a very cool... music edgy. It sounds like a very cool musical group. Yeah. The Reaper We're Kings. The Reaper Kings. Oh, my God. And Lyman Gage, banker and future presidential cabinet member for William McKinley and Theodore Roosevelt, who raised a ridiculous amount of money within a 24-hour period to secure Chicago's role as host for the Columbian Expedition. Later in his life, Gage would indulge his interests in metaphysics by moving to Llama Land a compound in California for followers of Theosophy, also hey. known as Blavatskian. Interesting. Hey, let, let's j- jump down that hole just for a second. Uh, yes. Theosophy believed that a group called the Masters were responsible for Theosophy, Theosophy, sorry, beliefs. 
According to Wikipedia, they are perceived to be a fraternity of human men who are highly evolved, both in terms of having an advanced moral development and intellectual attainment. They are claimed to have achieved extra-long lifespans and to have gained supernatural powers, including clairvoyance, and the ability to instantly project their soul out of their body to any location. That's cool. These are powers they have allegedly attained through many years of training. I like like the allegedly. 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 According to Blavatsky, by the late 19th century, their chief residence was in the Himalayan kingdom of Tibet. She, Blavatsky, also claimed that these masters were the source of many of her published writings. Now, this sounds like some Dr. Strange shit to me. Yes, sure does. I mean, everything about that sounds like Dr. Strange. Yep. Projecting your body, Tibet, training, ancient cult. I mean, that's... Okay. Well, the masters are believed to preserve the world's ancient spiritual knowledge and to represent a great white brotherhood or white lodge. Now, I really wanted to know if it was like a supremacist thing or just white, just probably purity. I would guess... Or something yin and yang type Probably. Thing. Let's go with that. Because I'm like, hmm, I don't know about the Great White Brotherhood. I don't think I'm a fan. I mean, right now it doesn't sound It great, sounds bad. But we're, we're talking. I mean, since like the beginning of time, I guess. Yeah. Because this brotherhood would watch over humanity and guide its evolution. Now, in case you were curious, among those whom the early theosophists claimed as masters were biblical figures like Abraham, Moses, Solomon, and Jesus. Okay. Asian religious figures like Gautama Buddha, Confucius, and Laozi. Laozi? Like Laozi doesn't sound right. L A O Z I. Laozi? I mean, that could be Laozi. We'll call him Laozi for sure. Because that's what we're going to do. It's also not. And also, modern individuals were her contemporaries Jacob Bohemi. Alessandro, Cagliastro, and Franz Mesmer. I mean, I don't, I didn't click those links. I got enough going on here. Was that a name? I'm, Franz four Mesmer. names? Yeah, that was that was four names. Okay. Jacob Bahomi. Bomi. I don't need you to repeat them because I, I didn't retain them the first time. So. Alessandro, Cagliastro, and Franz Mesmer. Mr. Mesmer. What if your name was Mr. Mesmer? Yeah. I mean, it'd, be, it'd be a good life, I guess. You'd be a master, evidently. According to Blavatsky's teachings, many of the world's religions have their origins in a universal ancient religion, a secret doctrine that was known to Plato and early Hindu sages and which continues to underpin the center of every religion. She promoted the idea that ancient societies exhibited a unity of science and religion that humanity has since lost with their achievements and knowledge being far in excess of what modern scholars believe about them. Blavatsky also taught that a secret brotherhood has conserved this ancient wisdom religion throughout the centuries and that members of this fraternity hold the key to understanding miracles, the afterlife, and psychic phenomena, and that moreover, these adepts themselves have paranormal powers. We're close to the end of my tangent because she stated that this ancient religion would be revived and spread throughout humanity in the future, replacing dominant world religions like Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, and Hinduism. Theosophy tended to emphasize the importance of ancient texts over the popular ritual and custom found within various religious traditions. Huh. That sounds cool. So, 
politician just went off to a compound where they were just t- doing all the sorts of this kind of talking stuff. And it, it exists. Their compound exists now as like a university in like huh, California. Really? Yeah. It's, I mean, the building's there and it's become a thing, but huh, that's cool. Kind of weird designs. Yeah. So that's just a whole thing. But I mean, now this has nothing to do with the world's fair. No. But between you and me, it seemed like the right kind of crazy tangent. Yeah. No, researching like for we, this podcast. Yep. Right. I mean, that's kind of what gets dumped in her face sometimes. Yeah. Either I end up looking at refrigerator cars or I go down this. And I'm like, why are we doing this? You never know. You never know. It's roll the dice. Again, this is our new hobby. Yeah. But back to the World's Fair. Chicago was the place to be. Illinois won, thanks to its wealthy sponsors. And like I mentioned, by the time of the fair in 1893, Chicago had been rebuilt from the devastating fire that happened decades earlier. Illinois Representative Thomas B. Bryan argued during a Senate hearing in 1890 that Chicago now had... Uh, quote, abundant supplies of good air and pure water, ample space, accommodations, and transportation for all exhibits and visitors. And, quote, Chicago's location made it so even, quote, the artisan and the farmer and the shopkeeper and the man of humble means would find it convenient to reach the fair. He also stressed that this expedition was of, quote, vital interest to the West and that the West wanted the location to be Chicago. The representative would continue to stress the essentials of a successful exposition and that only Chicago was fitted to fill these exposition requirements. So he's all on Team Chicago. Uh-huh. But I mean, like New York, Washington, D.C., everything East Coast, I mean, I'm sure you, anyone listening has experienced that during conventions. It's easier for everyone to get to a convention like in the Midwest. Yeah. Right? And it just works out for the Midwest people. Right. But considering they're so far away from everything else, usually... It's like a it ba- it's like I think that's like great it sucks for like everything else. It's like the great balance, right? So yeah. Transformers conventions used to always be in the Midwest. Then like movies came out, and then it was bound to the coast, and I was like, "You fucks!" <laughs> oh, now you're popular, and now it's all okay. Yeah. See how it is. Well, fairs were thought to be one of the few public festivities that could unite all classes of people, and with this being the middle of the Gilded Age, this was important. While wages for high-skilled workers were rising faster than Europe, this is the era where corporations reign supreme, giving birth to a rich ruling class never quite seen before. Until maybe today. Yeah. Until maybe today. Because we hit the trust bust at some point between here and then. Absolutely. Teddy. We need a new Teddy. Mm. We need a new Teddy. Mm-hmm. I've already mentioned him once. Maybe, yep. I'll, maybe I'll mention him again. The contrast was stark compared to the poor immigrants moving to take advantage of the newfound job opportunities. But like I said, what better way to unite all Americans than to show off how awesome we are as a whole? I'm pretty sure this still works to relative success today. Who doesn't enjoy a good party? Who doesn't enjoy a good American party? Oh, we're getting close to a good one, too. (laughs) We really are. Uh, The best one. We really are. I forgot to buy fireworks. Oh, well, I got time. I got time. You got time. Does Amazon ship fireworks? No. God. I didn't look. Maybe. Well, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> can I go? You know what would be safe is to go eBay some fireworks. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> get, a, get a sack of gunpowder. Oh, shit. Yeah. Whoops. I thought this was a Roman candle. I was going to make my own. <laughs> <laughs> What's this for? I'm baking a cake. <laughs> what kind of cake? Well, you'll have to be around to find out. Yeah. But don't don't come here. Mm-hmm. No. 200 intentionally temporary buildings were built over 690 acres. Their color, the color these buildings were painted, gave this makeshift community its name. Also, I would say questionable today, but back then, 
Well, I mean, back then they didn't care because they had to fight to even have black people have exhibitions at the White City. Hmm. It was rough. They had like an exhibition though somewhere, but it was like a whole big thing. Yeah. They had 40, oh, I'll get there, but there's like 46 countries, but then like African Americans in America couldn't have like an exhibit. Uh, Frederick Douglass was a representative for Haiti. They made him their representative, so he was there doing stuff. Oh, that's cool. It was. I mean, he was going to do stuff. That man always did stuff. Yeah, he was busy. He was. Many other buildings were built throughout the city as well, including some notable hotels for hosting several visitors. And when it came to visitors, several is an understatement. Like I just said, 46 countries had exhibitions at the fair, and over its six-month run, 27 million people attended. It has been said that one in four Americans had seen the exhibition. That's crazy. One out of four. Even considering there was a lot less people then, that's still pretty crazy. And travel was a lot harder. It was. You have to w- imagine getting on your horse and buggy. Can you imagine if one in four people went to Lollapalooza? Oh, my God. Oh my, yes. Right. That Holy sounds, shit. Oh, that sounds miserable. <laughs> that sounds terrible. <laughs> Luckily, back then, most of, that's why Chicago, like, it was a city, but surrounded by nothing. Yeah. So it was easy to fill it up, you know? It's true. You can't get going to Lollapalooza. Come to the city now. Oh, shit. Get out of here. No. Bad. The transportation system we talked about earlier, they just go to shit. It would just break. I mean, what's our population at like right now? It's like 300 plus million. So yeah. a quarter of that. I mean, that's. In a month. Whew. That's like, was it like, I'm not going to. Math's too hard. Yeah, so doing, yeah we're not going to say it's a I'm lot. not going to say real numbers because no. that would sound real dumb. No. Yeah. But it's a lot of people. October 8th, 1893 was designated Chicago Day, and it set an attendance record of 751,026 people outside in one place for a day. This thing was a big deal. Yeah, it's a big deal. Here's a list of important inventions that awed at the World's Fair. You ready for these? Yeah. All right. The automatic dishwasher. Whoa. Those are, those are cool. I, sh- I didn't build these up in any specific order because the next one's a big one. I mean, okay. Ready? Yeah. The zipper. Whoa. Hey, whoa. <laughs> those are both important things. I would say the zipper is more important. Very much. Considering I have a zipper on my persons at this moment. I do not. You don't have any. You no. Don't, no, you're zipper free. One. I'm hey, zipper free. One out of two people in this location has a zipper. Yeah. Badass. Moving sidewalk. Like, and these are just things, yes, you should just, these are just things, like pictures would help for this. Yeah. Listening along, Google moving sidewalk, 1893. I mean, nothing. It's not like the ones at the airport. No, but I mean. But it's got to be similar. Oh, yeah. But clearly, you know, the past becomes a present. There we are. Mm-hmm. Now they're just an airport. It's doing their thing. Yeah. But some of them, I read some had like chairs. You could just like, it's a moving sidewalk, but you could like just sit down and be taken for a ride in a chair. That sounds cool. And there was one built where you could just like walk it, you know, like basically your slow one or your, yeah, yeah. you know. A little more physical one. Mm-hmm. The uh, third rail mm. for, you know. Shocking. For murdering people. No, for powering things. Yeah. Fluorescent lamps. Those are cool. And electricity. More electricity. They didn't scare the shit out of people. Because uh, what they did, they used it for, like, it was introduced in Paris, like, before this. Mm-hmm. And basically, everyone was just terrified. <laughs> but he's like, what is going on? Which? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, somebody was probably hung. France, maybe a, 
maybe a guillotine gu- was involved. Yeah. <laughs> little gear was busted out. Yeah. Dropping, dropping down. Drop the beat, drop the gear. Because what they did is they used it for amusement park rides. So the formerly dangerous power was shown to be a force for good. Huh. Spray painting. Cool. And a ridiculous Ferris wheel. The first of its kind. I wish I, I forgot to write down how many cars it had. But each car would hold in between like 40 to 60 people. Whoa. In a Ferris wheel. That sounds terrifying. It put the Navy Pier one to shame, which is clearly what it's based, you know, that's, it's keeping that legacy around. Like the London Eye, you can't even get that many people yes, in the car. Yes, this thing, it was basically a giant rotating collection of buses. That's horrifying. Imagine if, I mean, what, you could, imagine if the thing collapsed, you'd kill a whole city. What were the regulations like back then? Zero. There was none. <laughs> Zero. <laughs> Absent of anything. That's a good idea. Yeah. Do you want to get in or not? Yeah. You want to get, yeah. Yeah, yes I do, so. But I just, when I was thinking about it, literal like cars, buses, like trucks, just rotating around a circle yeah. in a bustling beginning city. And some South American countries, it's still called the Chicago Wheel. Really? Mm-hmm. That's what Wikipedia told me, so I want to believe them. I believe everything on the internet. It, you should, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And of course, Ferris was the name of the man who built it. But innovations were not restricted to technology, or rather, the spirit of innovation also flourished. Hmm. The spirit of innovation also flourished when it came to food and drinks. Starting Chicago's tradition of outdoor food festivals, in fact, basically all festivals in Chicago owe their existence to the World's Fair of 1893. Right? Good job, guys. Because it was a big deal, so everybody wanted to have festivals and bring everybody out, and we've been doing it ever since. Yeah, and there's a bunch of big ones. Yeah, they're huge. Mm-hmm. And again, still still a Midwest location, so other people from different areas can come. Right. Plus they can, you know, I mean, there's many ways to get here now. Probably get on a plane, it's fine. But, but driving, easy. Mm-hmm. But these are some of the traits, okay. Hamburger. I guess it was new then. Oh. Mm-hmm. I dig it. Cracker Jack popcorn. Mm, had that. Shredded wheat. Mm, shredded Aunt Jemima pancake mix huh you I was just picturing like going to a festival and somebody's whipping up some pancakes and you just <laughs> grab some it's a hot summer Chicago day like, huh, cool <laughs> <Like> pancakes <laughs> <and> I, <laughs> that's okay you can have some breakfast because you can also enjoy some Vienna sausage ooh uh-huh do like those and juicy fruit Wrigley's chewing gum huh you know Wrigley Vienna these are all important Chicago things they are cream of wheat Mm-hmm. Quaker oats Shredded and creamed Yeah oh yeah oh, Man wheat was big It was And oats Yeah man And they were mm-hmm. like It's like fancy shit Yeah Gourmet And best select beer You know what this is Oh I know what it is Everyone knows what this is They've been bragging about it For how long After winning a certain contest It was given the name It has had ever since Pabst Blue Ribbon And they haven't Shut up About it since <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yep. yeah. Keep talking about it. Yep. Writing it over a hundred years. I mean, what's it called? Name it. I just, nah. I just enjoy a world where there's all these beer, and Pabst was the best. Yeah, they're like, fuck yeah, this wins. This kills anything else anyone was ever trying to make. I mean, I still enjoy a nice crisp so, uh, so do PBR. I. Oh man, it's been a little bit. Imagine going to a fair and have because they didn't care about this shit. Having a Pabst Blue Ribbon and eating a pancake. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, yeah. That sounds fun, actually. I wish that would happen. Yeah. 
Beer and Pancake Festival. Why isn't that a thing? It's got to be a thing somewhere. Probably. Yeah. A lot of carbs. <laughs> Just all the carbs. <laughs> Do you want to feel bad? Come here. Uh, do you want syruping your beer or on your pancake? It's going to the same place. All yeah. right. Well, pour it in. The exhibition was the perfect incentive to lure investors into supporting several projects within the city, with hotels being an easy win. Mm-hmm. This is exactly what certain unsavory individuals used to maximum effect. One man who did this was known throughout his life by many names because who doesn't who or what doesn't say trustworthy than having a slew of aliases. Mm-hmm. Some were, I'll read them to you. Henry M. Howard, Henry Gordon, Alexander Bond, O.C. Pratt, D.T. Pratt, A.E. Cook, G. Howell, and this one might give it away, but I'm going to say it anyways to people listening, or even to you. Mm-hmm. Herbert Webster Mudgett. Yeah? Okay. Surely this is a sign of someone possessing strong moral character. This man purchased available land across the street from the drugstore where he worked. Construction started in 1887, and after not paying the architects or the steel company and looking for more fin- financiers, 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 yeah, you know, yeah. People, people to give him money. Right. He, he opted to tell people he planned to build a third floor and use it as a hotel for the upcoming World's Fair. Mm-hmm. This section was never completed entirely, but its intent proved to be an effective scam. Mm-hmm. Wikipedia says that, quote, furniture suppliers found he was hiding their materials for which he had never paid and hidden rooms and passages throughout the building. There were soundproofed rooms and mazes of hallways, some of which seemed to go nowhere. Many of the rooms were outfitted with chutes that would drop straight down to the basement where he had acid vats, quicklime, and a crematorium to dispose of his victims' bodies. Oh, so they weren't just staying there. No, they weren't just, <laughs> yeah, they weren't just having fun. Mm-hmm. No. No. Yeah, no, I uh, I know a little bit about this, you but do. it'll be good to you do dive in here. Well, I, well, let's yes. Their search made the news, and investors for the Plan Hotel pulled out of the deal when a jeweler in the building showed them the articles. He also used his education and knowledge to sell skeletons to medical labs and schools. Mm. Because I guess this was a time when nobody asked any questions, like quote, "This is my quote, hypothetical quote." Where did you find the skeleton? Nobody seemed to ask that. I mean, no. Where did you find the skeleton? Right. Yeah. Um, well, I, I know. I know doctors had a bad reputation for a long time. They well, cause there because they're stealing bodies and grave buying rob- them like this. Exactly. Grave robbing was huge because they need to learn, and it was like kind of forbidden stuff. Yep. Exactly. I mean that that in and of itself was a whole thing we could go down. Right. Just like doctors? Question mark. <laughs> good or bad? Yeah. <laughs> thumbs up or thumbs down? Witches. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, if you walk into a guy who's like, who claims to be doing science and he just has corpses strung up back then, you'd be like, whoa, whoa, dude, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Let's pump the brakes yeah, here. Okay. You're doing what? What are you trying to learn? Look, if I pull in this, the finger moves. Ah, <laughs> I don't like that. It's making me uncomfortable. I don't like that. What are you doing with the, are you making his toes wiggle? What's, what's all that? Did that come out of that guy? Mm-hmm. That come out of his stomach? Yeah. What do you do? Look, if I put this in here, it comes out here. No, man. You need to stop all this. All right, please. Well, this isn't good. Where'd you find this? In the ground. <laughs> it was just laying there. Yeah, believe it or not, somebody marked it. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Yep. Well, according to um, a book, Nine Things You Didn't Know About America's First Serial Killer, a Mental Floss 2019 article, 
quote, he and sometimes a hired assistant were accused of stripping the flesh off the bodies, dissecting them, and preparing the viable skeletons. The rest of the remains would be tossed in pits of lime or acid, effectively breaking down the remaining evidence. Wikipedia says that this was him having an entrepreneurial spirit. <laughs> I, mean, I guess. It's not Sh- wrong. Sure. That's what we'll call it. <laughs> yeah. Entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah. Selling skeletons from murder. I like that. That's better than my sentence. My sentence was selling skeletons of murder victims to schools after ripping off their skins. I just like selling skeletons from murder. That's better than <laughs> yeah. selling skeletons from murder. Mm-hmm. Again, very entrepreneurial. Yeah. Cool. You and know, I, he's got a hobby, but he he's does. making money off it. He is. He's, again, that's an entrepreneur. What can I, I mean? Yeah. I'm, of course, talking about H.H. H. Holmes, the notorious Chicago murder castle. Mm-hmm. Holmes came to Chicago in 1886 and was such a good employee at the drugstore where he worked that he was eventually able to buy it from the owners. And actually, I don't talk about it in here because I'm getting into this, but I we could get into this more. Right. But um, I guess he bought it from the widow of the, uh, you know, they used to own the drugstore and he bought it from the widow. Hmm. And th- then I guess she disappeared. Hmm. What, yeah. How did he die? Um. Yeah, Yeah, good question. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good question that we could probably find an answer to. Probably. The store was at South Wallace Avenue, West 63rd and Englewood. His initial murder was that of his mistress at the time, Julia Smith, and her daughter. For once the affair with Holmes was revealed, Julia Smith's husband left. So she was already married to somebody. Mm -hmm. And then, you know. The mother and daughter were never seen again after Christmas Eve, 1891. Emmeline Singrande was working at the hotel building in 1892 when she disappeared that December. So it's like a year later. Minnie Williams, an actress, was offered a job from Holmes to work at the hotel as his stenographer. And I'm just wondering how many people needed... This was in my mind as I was putting this together. How many people needed a stenographer, a personal stenographer, to write down whatever you wanted? Yeah. Huh. Right? Is that? I mean, I guess it's it's a living... You know, I mean, did you not know how to write? Maybe. Maybe that's true. That would make sense. That's true. But this guy, he's he's cutting up bodies. He's probably educated, unless this is just him. Like maybe to like write letters for them, like to be your text, to be your cell phone. Maybe. Yeah. Like I'm gonna write this letter. I'm gonna say it. You just write it and then send it off. Yeah. That but that's probably why. Probably. That's a thing wealthy people would have. Yeah. Write a person just to write shit down for you. Yeah. Obviously. Okay. Still. Definitely. Okay. And then, through his magical conniving ways, he convinced Minnie to give him ownership of her home in Fort Worth, Texas. Or rather, should I say Alexander Bond. Like I mentioned, Holmes had several aliases. Hmm. Alexander Bond was one of them. Holmes even gave aliases to his friends, and yes, he had a friend, or as an attorney called him during Holmes's trial, uh, trial quote, Holmes's tool, his creature. <laughs> Oh, well, yeah, it got better. Oh, <laughs> yeah. wow. Whoa. Oh. Uh, this man was Benjamin... Button? Benjamin Button. <laughs> Holmes thought he was an old man, but he was actually 12 years old. Wow. <laughs> Whoops. Whoa. Whoops. No, this man was Benjamin... P-I-T-E-Z-E-L. Pitezel? Pitezel? <laughs> Pit- right? What was it? P-I-T... 
E-Z-E-L. Sure. Patizzle. Because okay. that sounds cool. Patizzle. Patizzle. <laughs> Benjamin P. And so it was that Alexander Bond transferred the deed to Minnie Wilms's property to Benton T. Lyman, who was an alter ego for Patizzle. Totally infatuated with Holmes, Minnie invited her sister to come visit, and after July 5th, 1893, neither Minnie or her sister were seen alive again. Holmes must have been quite the talker because that shit's absurd. Yeah, that's pretty weird. He's just manipulating all these people and they're just going with it. How much charisma did this man have? All of it. Nonstop. Insurance scams and accusations of arson forced him out of Chicago to St. Louis, where he was imprisoned for insurance scams. Huh. Further evidence of his entrepreneurial spirit. Mm -hmm. He took a life insurance policy out on himself and pretended to die. Sometimes I think I might do that. But then you can't get rid of student loans that way. So there's no point. No, you can't. No, you absolutely can't. Mm -mm. While in prison, he enlisted the help of a convicted convict and promised to pay $500 for hooking him up with a good and willing lawyer to aid in his tomfoolery. Now, this may shock you, but after finding the claim suspicious, the insurance company refused to pay. I wonder why. Yeah, hmm. I wonder how they, did they just drive by like, like, I mean, who knows? Imagine any situation. Mm-hmm. Isn't that guy dead? Oh, <laughs> interesting. Well, he looks fine. I think he's, isn't that guy that, isn't that guy that just filed that policy with us? I hope it's one of those situations. <laughs> like it's been done with and like somebody who just works at the company is like, didn't we just, I, we just, we just paid that guy. We're going to pay that guy's, he just died. Yeah. We're going to pay his significant other all this money and he's walking around. Yeah. Did he grow a beard or shave his mustache though? Nope. It's just it's him. the same guy. <laughs> it's just him. They yell his name. He turns his head. They're like, <laughs> all right. Yeah, well, <laughs> gotcha. Busted. Yeah, got him. He's like, shit. All right, so instead of being convinced that this idea was awful, Holmes hit up his bro, Benjamin Pitzel. Pitzel. And <laughs> Benny was like, P. Benny P. And was like, hey, dude, want to fake your death and make lots of money? Sure, said Benjamin. Yeah, why not? The idea was for uh, Benny P, for his wife, to collect the money and divvy it up to the lawyer, because I guess they're still working with a shady lawyer they found, yeah. um, and Holmes himself. Again, as evidence of Holmes's incredible entrepreneurial spirit, he found the perfect cadaver to pass off as Benjamin when Holmes killed Benjamin for real and set his corpse on fire. Oh, oh whoops. Uh, well, that'll... Yeah. It almost worked. Gonna prove that. That's, <laughs> that's gonna be him. Yeah. Then using that same entrepreneurial spirit, he convinced Benjamin's wife to let him run away with some of her kids, a boy and two of their girls. I don't know what, what? he's doing. I don't know what he's doing. This guy's a maniac. What kind of mother would just give she had five kids. She gave three of them to him, and then why? She liked the other two best. I don't what, know like, what's going what? on. <laughs> Because he's like, maybe he's like their uncle and they're going on a trip. I guess if I went deeper, I well, could like figure it like, out. Yeah, I get like. So it's a family friend, you know, yeah, like. Like super close family friend type thing. Hey, you want to go with HH to go maybe to go look at that Ferris wheel that can hold a million people? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Well, eventually the girls would be locked in the trunk. But don't worry. Holmes drilled a hole in said container. So they could breathe. Oh, good. 
Just kidding. He inserted a hose into the hole and pumped it full of gas, killing them. Oh, well, that is it's a little, not it's a little, good. <laughs> it's a little different. No. Yeah, that's not good. As he continued gallivanting around the continent, avoiding talking to Benjamin's wife and explaining where her kids were, <laughs> he, <Hello>. yeah, <laughs> he invented many of the alter egos I mentioned before. But what about their son? What about Howie? What about Howard? How's he doing? Well, Holmes uh, chopped up Howard and set him on fire. (sighs) The bodies of the girls were found in the cellar of a house in Toronto. A detective tasked with finding them said, quote, the digger we dug, the more horrible the odor became. And when we reached the depth of three feet, we discovered what appeared to be the bone of the forearm of a human being. Yep, did that. It was proven that Holmes killed nine people, but confessed to 27. But I've also read things that say it could have been as high as 200. That's wild. Yeah, I mean, they got him on nine. He said 27. And then one thing I read, I mean, at this point, like, it's the internet and numbers just getting whipped around. Oh, if they only had him on nine, why should he be like, nah, it's actually 27? Well, I'll get to that. Oh, okay. I cool. mean, he's... Because well, that, well, that doesn't make sense to me why you'd be like, no, it's actually more, you guys suck. <laughs> well, I mean, you already mentioned, we kind of discussed, he's a maniac. Oh, yeah. He's just, sure. like, out of control. And if they got him, he's like, fuck it. Yeah. I killed all of Ohio. Did you, though? I think there's people still living in Ohio, sir. Mm-hmm. That bridge will get him. <laughs> yeah. In fact, the murder castle should absolutely be... Oh, I'm just talking about how we should talk about this. We, yeah, because I'm just getting, like, you know... I did some peripheral um, scanning on him. Mm-hmm. We can get into him harder. Okay. And he, we should. Yeah. Which, that should make you pause for the rest of this episode. Yeah. Just saying. Um, but Holmes was a notorious liar, and he started to say even more absurd things once in custody. Hey, do you want to hear a paragraph that he said? I hope he claims to be some sort of evil god or something. Is that where this is going? Because I want that to be where this is going. Uh, What if I said close? Will you be happy with close? I'll be happy with close. I was born with the devil in me. Okay, cool. I I could not help the fact that I was a murderer. No more than the poet can help the inspiration to sing. I was born with the evil one standing as my sponsor beside the bed where I was ushered into the world, and he has been with me since. So he, he <laughs> This went, guy is a maniac. It went to where he wanted to go. Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. What is he doing? Holmes was hung in Philadelphia in May 1896. The yeah. murder castle was set on fire mysteriously the year before, and the caretaker of the castle, because Holmes was, of course, running all over the place, mm-hmm. poisoned himself. Two men were also seen escaping the murder castle as it was set on fire. Huh. Again, future episodes, we can get more into that. Yeah. The building was torn down in 1938, and a post office was built on the lot where it continues to stand today. Huh. All right. Well, H.H. H. Holmes yeah. began his terror 1893. Right. Murder castle. Well, let's jump back to 1898. The U.S. Maine was stationed in Havana, Cuba. Okay. It was placed there to protect American interests during the Cuban War of Independence. Cuba was fighting Spain, trying to shrug off the empire that had ruled over them for nearly 400 years. As, of course, the Bahamas and Cuba were the first areas visited by Columbus, 
when he reached the Americas. The Maine was doing its own thing when a Spanish mine exploded. Exploded it. Uh A mine exploded it, killing 260-plus American soldiers. Oh, wait, again. Just kidding. This is what the mainland United States was told by the government and media. In reality, the Maine's cache of weapons exploded after a mysterious fire started in the coal bunkers. But the lure of empire is enticing. And even though Navy Communications and Navy Captain Philip R. Alger specifically called it an accident, future president and then contemporary assistant Navy secretary Theodore Roosevelt said, mm. quote, Mr. Alger cannot possibly know anything about the accident. All the best men in the department agree that, whether probable or not, it certainly is possible that the ship was blown up by a mine. Just calling him out. I mean, it's, it's, it just sounds like Teddy's just kind of walking around this issue here. Yeah. He just, he goes, well, you see, Teddy wanted war, and he would get it no matter the cost. Mm-hmm. And eventually, him and his Rough Riders would storm Cuba with minimal casualties. Sure do. The Spanish-American War would function as proof that the riches of empire could be achieved at minimal cost. Huh. Twisting the truth to justify military intervention... It's as American as the Stars and Stripes themselves. Yeah. Uh, for better or worse. Always worse. It's a thing. Always worse. The war was over in 113 days. It's a pretty quick one. Veterans of the war would come home feeling fulfilled. Teddy had always wanted to be a soldier. His father avoided participating in the Civil War, and he always felt that it was a blemish in the family. Well, Teddy and all those Americans that went to fight in Cuba played soldier, and the nation was rewarded for it. The sinking of the Maine was the beginning of a propaganda campaign that would transform an isolationist society into one that craved revenge, action, continuous victory. A nation that would begin its tiptoe to empire. According to 2007 Chicago Tribune article uh, called The Spanish-American War by Ken Armstrong, quote, William Randolph Hearst owner of the New York Morning Journal reportedly cabled Frederick Remington, he's a war illustrator, with directions to illustrate Spanish atrocities in Cuba. Quote, you furnish the pictures, quote, Hearst wrote, quote, and I'll furnish the war, <laughs> quote. Okay. Well, calm down, buddy. Cool. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, just a year later, well, year after 1898, 1899, January 17th, Al Capone was born in New York City. When he was 20 years old, he would move to Chicago. Mm -hmm. And through backroom deals and murder attempts, he would take over Chicago's underworld. He was convicted for tax shit, and eventually, uh, late-stage syphilis rotted his brain. It's a bummer. By the end? Yeah, it will. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I guess he could have, like, even back then there was medicine that he could have taken if it was early, and he just never. Yeah. So it's, woo! <laughs> it wasn't penicillin, the big one that kind of helped that out? Yes, I, I think it, it was. I don't know when that came about. It was Me neither. Relatively recently, though. In this in this story that we're talking here. Yes. Probably around. You'd think, right? Yeah. Again, Ish, imagine. Maybe. Imagine how huge antibiotics were. Jesus Christ. Yeah, they're pretty important. Yeah. Again, we talked about before, TB. Oh, yeah. Put TV yep. to rest. Mm-hmm. Jesus. Well, 
By the end of his life, the sharp-dressed gangster, once called Snorky by his friends, had the mind of a 12-year-old. We could dedicate an entire episode to Capone and his hidden layers and passageways and weirdness, but today is not that day. No? No. Yeah. Oh. And what did Snorky mean? Snorky just meant sharp dresser. Huh. He's like, when's the last time you looked snorky? I look snorky right now. Beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Ah, just in case anyone listening needs to know. Yeah, I'm just looking dapper. Zach is looking dapper. Yeah. And extra snorky. Again. Sipping on my uh, whiskey drink here. Looking dapper. Yes. Yes. Man. Always. Do you think snorky could ever come back? Why is slang words always so weird? I don't know. Everything's so weird. Yeah, I don't know. But I mean, I guess we have weird things today, people say, that we think are kind of normal, but kind of like, you know. They're not. Quirky. They don't make sense. Like the one that came to my mind when I was reading Snorky, and I mean, it just says more about me. I'm like, people say things are lit. They shouldn't say that. Yeah. Don't say that. It's lit. Yeah, it's lit. I'll say it. But see, even when you say it sarcastically, because you think it's dumb, you're still saying it. Yeah. And it's still being a thing. How's that Chicago fire? It's lit. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> 17,500 buildings. <laughs> That's a lot of buildings. Oh, my God. It's kind of surprising that only 300 people died. Isn't it, though? Yeah. Like, what the hell? I just mentioned everyone was running. It's lit. Yes. <laughs> Chicago fire was lit. <laughs> All right. Uh-huh. Wow. 1912. A Baltimore couple moved to Chicago and took up residence with a local couple. One half of the Boston... That Now... It's Baltimore. Why does it say Boston? <laughs> One half of the Baltimore couple was a wealthy heiress. Sophie Singer. The Chicago couple, the Conways, or at least that was the name they gave to Sophie. You see, Uh-oh. Charles and Mary Conway were actually Charles and Mary Kramer. Mary had once been an opera performer, but was now a burlesque dancer. Hmm. Charles had wasted a fortune doing God knows what and moved from Indiana to Chicago, where he worked the circus. During some sort of... Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Just interesting? Yeah. yeah. Well, here we go. During some sort of stunt or diving accident, he had lost part of his right leg or foot. Huh. In order to get around, he started to wear a peg leg. Yes, he do. And, oh, yeah. He was a clown. Uh Uh-oh. The couple's eccentricities started to wear on Sophie Singer and her fiancé, William Worthen. It sounds sounds like they would get to you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that couple? Yeah. Yeah, who were wanting to elope in Chicago. The Conways had offered the duo a place to stay after Sophie contacted them while still still living in in Baltimore. But clearly this arrangement wasn't working. And Sophie and William planned to leave. And I guess during this time, William and Sophie were also giving the Conways money. Of course they were. So just kind of imagine this wealthy heiress and her fiance going to elope, mm-hmm. hanging out with this couple they met somehow out of town. They might have, the Conways might have met them in Baltimore, I think. And then like, you know, then they moved back to Chicago. So they had a Chicago connection. Yeah. Want to elope in the Windy City. Do your thing. Yeah, sure. Okay. Fun. Well, one night, William came home and found Sophie's body on the floor. It was fine, right? 
A wealthy heiress was murdered by a peg-leg clown. Oh. Evidently with a makeshift weapon consisting of a doorknob, a handkerchief, and a slingshot. What? (laughs) What? There was also, uh, I think the handkerchief was wedged so far down Sophie's throat that the police had to use like tweezers or pinchers to pull it out. Jesus. Uh, I mean, your guess is as good as mine here. So... He used the slingshot to shoot her with the doorknob and then just shoved it down her throat. Yeah, I mean, I have no idea. Yeah. The clown and burlesque dancer were caught in Ohio. And at the trial, William Worthen said in the week, earlier in the week, you know, prior to Sophie's murder, quote, that the clown said, Charles the clown, Charles the peg leg, now killer clown, said, killer quote, clown, peg leg, said, quote, this is what I used to knock. This is what I use to knock him down with, in reference to the slingshot. Huh? And this is the kind of weirdness. This kind of weirdness. How big is this slingshot? I mean, I don't know, but this kind of weirdness is why I assume the couple was looking for a different lodging arrangement. Yeah. Because that's not disturbing or anything. No. Like, oh god, what the fuck are they doing? Charles and Mary insisted they didn't intend to murder Sophie only steal from her, but they continued to lie, stating that Sophie was actually trying to leave William and that she had given them the clothes that they are found with. Because, like, Mary... Oh, so Mary she's, like, wear, they're, like, wearing her clothes Mary is and like, stuff? Mary is, like, wearing Sophie's clothes. Jeez. <laughs> Again, lies. Sophie had a bunch of jewelry on her and money, uh, $3,000 in jewels and $1,000 in cash, and was worth $35,000, and I only did the conversion for this. I was going to say, because that's a, that's a difference. That was, yes, indeed. It was approxim- It was worth approximately over like $950,000 in current money. So she's almost a millionaire. That's crazy. And I mean, that's, yeah. even that's, that's like a lot now. I mean, she's still running around, even if we didn't do the conversion, that's still a good. Right, 35000 bucks you just got? Yeah. Or the, yeah, well, I mean, I guess, I wonder how much of her savings, they probably stole that, I wonder how much. So like a thousand dollars cash. I should have just did it. That's a lot of money though back then. Yeah, that's enough to like. Well, because you couldn't imagine that. I'm not running around with that much now. Imagine that you didn't have a debit card. You couldn't even write checks, right? right. Yeah. You, well, I guess you probably could write checks, you probably do checks but it'd be a, yeah. it'd be, have to be a, you know, a little more strenuous of a process. Mm-hmm. Well, Charles said he wanted the money for surgery on his leg. His, his fucking leg to grow it back. His goddamn fucking leg. He wanted to try to regrow his leg back. Maybe that maybe that was the price on that back then, thirty five thousand yeah. dollars. Charles was something else. Oh good. I, at least I got some of these quotes. All right, well get ready for these quotes from Charles. Alright, hit me. All right. According to mysterioushicago.com, in the midst of confessing pretty sure it's dot com. Mysterious Chicago. Google mm-hmm. it. Yeah. In the midst of confessing, he did a bit of clowning. This is their they're having fun with this. Yep. Yeah, I mean, keep in mind, he's also a murderer, but this situation is out mm-hmm. of control. He did a bit of clowning around with reporters and police. Quote, say, Captain, quote, he asked, quote, do you know that in this case you can't hang a man with a wooden leg? Quote, when the captain said he never heard of a law like that, <laughs> Kramer said, quote, you have to use a rope. Quote, <laughs> this fucking guy, man. This fucking All right, guy. all right. He's just cracking jokes. Uh, he's a murderer. He's having fun. He's yeah. a clown. All right. And then this is another quote. Quote, well, this is from a reporter. 
How did you hurt your foot? What was his answer? A steamboat ran over it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Regardless, Charles was convicted and sentenced to life in prison. Wasn't that funny? He would spend. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-huh. He would spend the rest of his days in Joliet, Illinois. Of course he did. Oh, just kidding. He escaped and no one knows where he went. Oh. A convicted killer clown with a peg leg escaped a Joliet prison and was never seen again. Huh. Where'd he go? I don't know. January 30th, 1938. Adolf Hitler became chancellor of Germany. Where are we going? <laughs> what is happening right now? <laughs> Okay. Yeah, he did. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh my God. All right. Uh, A year earlier, the Nazis received 37% of the vote. The Nazis would soon put to motion their goals of establishing a 1,000-year Reich by gobbling up any territory they could get their hands on. March 12th, 1938, they annexed Austria. On October 1st, 1938, the Nazis invaded the Sudetenland. Czechoslovakia's border region. He claimed ethnic Germans were suffering in the area. His stated mission was to make their existence better. We all know his purpose was a little more sinister than that. The rest of Czechoslovakia was powerless to resist further invasion. On March 15, 1939, Prague was well within the clutches of the Nazi Empire. Like most areas the Nazis occupied, their quest for racial purity was at play. In regards to the population, according to uh, Wikipedia, within the Nazi hierarchy, a large swath of the populace was capable of Aryanization. Hence, the Czechs were not subjected to a similar degree of random and organized acts of brutality that their Polish counterparts experienced. Such a capacity for Aryanization was supported by the position that part of the Czech population had German ancestry. The Sudetenland did not join Germany when it was formed, you know, Bavaria, mm-hmm. Prussia. You know, when Germany was united as a one country. Mm-hmm. Okay. A couple um, of years earlier. Uh, yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, the Czechs, Slavs, you know, the ethnic Czechs and ethnic Slavs, uh, Slavs were not considered by the Germans as a racial equal due to its classification as a mixture of races with Jewish and Asiatic influences. The Germans said, quote, the Czechs were dangerous and must be handled differently from Aryan peoples, end quote. Okay. Now, as I'm sure you were wondering, what on earth do all of these random things have in common? Yep, I'm a little confused. Where are we going? I have no idea. We're going to the Congress Plaza Hotel in Chicago, Illinois. Oh, coming back. Going back to Chicago, located on South Michigan Avenue across from Grant Park in Chicago at 520 South Michigan Avenue. And I do believe the Congress was where I had my... College graduation, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'm pretty so sure that's, that's you connection. see it every time you drive down Lakeshore, right? It's very obvious. It's right smack there. Yeah. It was originally called the Auditorium Annex. The hotel opened in 1893, just in time for the World's Fair. And although having gone through several renovations over the years, uh-huh. the building still stands today. Yep. Well, what kind of story are we getting into? I don't know. What if I was to tell you that this building was considered the most haunted building in the state? Okay. What makes this place so haunted? It's collections of ghosts, naturally. 
That's typically how that works. Like any good ghost story, these legends are often that. Some can be proven with newspaper articles, and some are just conjecture. Mm-hmm. But all of them are bizarre enough and brutal. Some are brutal enough that they are absolutely worth getting into. All right. H.H. H. Holmes confessed to killing 27 people, but no one really knows how many people's lives he extinguished or where he harvested his victims. But many believe he stalked the hotel lobby of the Congress Hotel. Mm-hmm. And there were reports of women going missing around that time and around that area. It has been said his ghost prowls the halls looking for the innocent. While Holmes was said to patrol the halls, the Congress has also been filled with legitimate murders and suicides over the years. The internet inflates the amount because what's more fun, I guess, than pretending lots of people got murdered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But some of them, some of these instances are verifiable and you just can't argue with them. Right. Captain Lou Ostheim was a veteran of the Spanish-American War and was staying at the hotel days before he was to marry the love of his life. Those that knew him said he wasn't sad or depressed and was very much anticipating his marriage. But they did say he had been suffering from horrible nightmares and night terrors in the weeks leading up to his wedding. What was it? Cold feet? Well, he has cold feet now because he's dead. Yeah, that'll do it. That happens. Rumor is the day before his wedding, he bought flowers and a revolver and killed himself. What were the flowers for? I don't know. I guess the revolver. I think I got that one pinned down. (laughs) Maybe he just wanted to... um, Maybe it was just a gift to um, whoever found him. Yeah. I don't know. But his family believes that it was not a suicide. His family believes that he woke up, you know, terrified during one of his nightmarish experiences during a night terror. Okay. And was so bewildered, and the revolver was, of course, near, of course, near him, mm-hmm. that he shot himself by mistake. I can see that being a thing, depending on, you know, where he shot himself. Right. Yeah, I was trying to look where he shot himself, like if it was the head or if the gut. But imagine, like, if you woke up, shot yourself in the gut, and no one heard it or came to you, and then you just died from a gunshot wound in your hotel room. Yeah. That's miserable. It's not going to look good. It's almost like if that happened, your spirit would have unfinished business. He never got to marry the love of his life. Right. So that would definitely make sure Lou stuck around. He's also called, he's called the shadow person also, by the way. People are said to see him kind of like a shadowish appearance. Mm -hmm. Then there is a story of a hobo or a homeless man who was murdered in the basement or in the alley behind the hotel. His specter is said to still wander the corridors of the hotel harassing whomever he so desires. Oh, wait. I, uh, I, I uh, didn't mention his name. Oh, yeah? This is the legend of Peg Leg Johnny. Uh-oh. That's right. Johnny had a peg leg. What if? He was a clown? Just if, during his life, he just so happened to be a one-legged killer clown. Huh. Johnny's true origin is a mystery. This could mean that a former peg-legged killer clown is haunting the halls of the Congress as a hobo ghost. I don't like that. I don't I, like any of that. Think about it. The visual is hard to not picture. It's, it's, it's a, a lot. Absurd. It's a lot. <laughs> I love it. It's such a... Uh, Get the ghost to sit down. He's like, you know, when I was alive, 
I killed people as a clown. <laughs> like what? <laughs> like, what? What are you now? <laughs> now I'm just a homeless man. Yeah. I mean, Charles Kramer was not good at making choices in life. So maybe after he fled Joliet, he returned to the city as a panhandler. I mean, that's very likely. And pulling his shenanigans because he was a man who. I mean, imagine he's pulling some shenanigans and cracks the wrong joke at the wrong person. Mm-hmm. Perhaps that led to um, Charles, good old Chuck, to a uh, untimely fate. Yeah. Johnny has been seen on several floors of the lobby and dining area. He likes to mess with lights and appliances, flipping them on and off. You know, ghost shit. Yeah. <clears throat> it's pretty standard. Well, the connection to the killer clown is purely subjective. It's hard not to enjoy giving closure to the killer clown with a peg leg that escaped Joliet. Yeah. Now, this connection was made by Adam Seltzer of uh, Mysterious Chicago. Mm-hmm. And he also, uh, he, they said he was a field agent for Atlas Obscura. We've used some of their stuff before. They yeah. do bizarre shit and whatever. Yeah. But uh, as soon as I found that connection, I absolutely fell in love. I, mean, I was like, what the fuck is happening? It's really not that far away. Like, what the fuck? If you think about it, that's... Very uh, plausible. Also, sure. also, let's say he escapes the prison. I don't. Don't even get me started on how a pegleg man escapes prison. Don't and yeah, I don't, we'll just well, yeah, we'll just roll past that. But that means if he didn't go back to the city, he could be he could have been living in any town that we are around, mm-hmm. right? His descendants could be living amongst us. We could be friends with them. We have no idea. It almost made me want to go looking for like how many people passed away during a certain time period with peg legs. Mm-hmm. And then try and backtrack their history. We can tell because their kids will have peg legs, right? It's it's genetic. It's yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> All right. Well, one ghost. Um, we could describe him as snorky, uh. looking his 1930s best. I mean, he could even be Al Capone himself. Rumors mention that Capone owned the establishment or that he had a room there. Those are total lies. Not true. But they come up a lot when looking about the uh, the Congress Plaza Hotel. Yep. But Capone was all over the city in his heyday, and several of his goons did stay there and kidnap people. And, you know, you know, doing mobster stuff. Goon stuff. Goon stuff. Absolutely. Uh, one of his colleagues placed a call. Oh, this is the direct connection. Because one of his colleagues placed a call to Capone from the Congress during the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Uh. So is this sharp-dressed Gambino truly one of Chicago's most notorious crime lords? Or a different snorky-wise guy? Huh? Regardless, people have seen somebody wearing 1930s garb wandering the Congress Hotel. Huh. During World War I and World War II, the Congress was used to hold immigrants and refugees. A Czechoslovakian mother of two, Adele Lager, was waiting for her husband to join her in America and her two sons from Prague when she began fearing she'd be deported. It is said the fear of returning to Nazi rule and their horrendous treatment toward the Jews had driven her insane. But, I mean, those are rational fears, right? Right. Those are legitimate, beyond rational fears. They definitely weren't treated well. No. And the family was, of course, Jewish. Mm-hmm. So, Adele whipped both her boys off the 12th floor balcony oh. and followed by making a death leap to Michigan Avenue below. Yep. It is said that 
Carol and Tommy are still at the Congress, staring at and occasionally pursuing guests, hmm. charging them and inducing strong senses of panic. It's like some shining shit. Yes, absolutely. But yeah, and they f- I found an article, like I was actually reading the article about the murder. Mm-hmm. And like, it's basically just her, uh, you know, her husband. Cause like, I guess they had a visa and then he had a visa, but then he was looking, he sold all his, his shop in Germany to somebody to get, take the money because he knew he was going to get driven out. Cause he wanted to get the fuck out. Czechoslovakia. I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. But then he couldn't start a business in America for some reason. So he was going to have to go to Canada. So like them and the, them in here, them in Chicago was like a way, a layover. And you know, dad was coming later. Mm-hmm. So he's trying to get his shit in order. And then his whole family is just murdered by his wife, by, who his, lo- wife. by his wife who lost her mind. It's terrifying. Right. Instead of waiting for her husband, she feared deport. She feared. Interesting. She feared deportation so much. She decided to kill herself and her children. Hmm. That's not good. Nope. It's a good thing we don't have any deportation issues today. That's all I can say. Uh-huh. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Yeah. There is also a room, 441, in the hotel. Because let's face it, all these murders, all this chaos, it's going to affect the building in incredible ways. Right? The aura of this place is going to be out of control. Right, yeah. So it's it was stated as being one of the most haunted... Uh, rooms in the hotel hmm. accounts of a shadow woman kicking the bed while patrons rest unusual sounds and moving objects have all been have all been funneled to the front desk you know imagine mm-hmm. taking these complaints yeah ghost complaints three in the morning the witching hour mm-hmm. i want to do a whole podcast with the witching hour by the way mm-hmm. three o'clock man yeah we should do that that's amazing that's a weird thing two o'clock in the morning still nighttime four o'clock in the morning it's morning three o'clock that's something else yeah entirely well, speaking of places in a hotel, when oh, some people think, um, when I was reading that guy's stuff in Mysterious um, Chicago, mm-hmm. he was talking about um, how, like, I guess legends, like every 441 is like the one that's been settled on recently. Mm-hmm. It was also supposedly what was, this is a lie, but a lot of people attribute this, the room or a room in the Congress to, fuck, what was that book uh, Stephen King wrote about the haunted the, room? The, the one that got made into a... John yeah, Cusack movie. Yes, I think that's yeah, that's the one. So they they say this is a basis, but yeah, it, what is that? It man? wasn't. I mean, it's in my other notes, but I don't have them here. Yeah. But but yeah, the, I, I know you know what, what I mean. About, Anybody yeah. listening knows that that movie is a thing. So, uh, but speaking of other places, but but the point is like different other other rooms have been said to have been haunted too. But this is like you know it's been settled on. And never all the legends kind of focus back to this one. Mm-hmm. This is also a room four for one is also a room. If you wanted to, we could stay in. It's available for rent. I feel like I would be looking for things and nothing would happen, but you never know. Yeah. Also, there's rooms in the hotel, obviously. The Florentine Room has hosted many infamous people, even President Teddy Roosevelt. Reports of odd feelings and music being played are commonly found in there. Uh, Whispering women, humming men. This is my favorite. Phantom gunshots. Oh, yeah. That sounds like Teddy. (laughs) (laughs) Baby! Yeah. And even Teddy Roosevelt himself have been seen there. Huh. And in a way, Teddy did die here. Not physically. But this is where he announced that he was leaving the Republican Party. And of course, this ended his political career. Nobody wants to vote for an independent. Yeah. I mean, I would love, I could kill for a bull moose party right now. Uh-huh. But 
back then nobody did. But for the longest time, Teddy held the highest. Um, got them as a, as a third party candidate, he got the most votes for like yeah, ever. Sure. But I mean, it makes sense. But the goddamn political machines kept Teddy down. Did he only do one term? Technically, because he was a dummy. Hmm. He was McKinley's vice president. Right. McKinley died, so hmm. Teddy played out the rest of that term. Right. And then he announced because George Washington, he would only serve two terms. Right. Which means. He publicly said, I would only serve two terms. And then right. he runs yeah, a second time. A yet, well, he runs. Well, right, there's no. Right. But the point was, after his. So then he got elected. Mm-hmm. So he ran once. Okay. So basically he, two he got terms. Like six years. Ran one. Basically, yes. Yeah. So however long it was. It might have yeah. even been longer than that, depending. But that's the gist. Yeah. So if he was to come out and say he was running again, then he'd be a liar. So he backed himself into a fucking corner. If he would have just kept his mouth shut. Teddy would have got reelected. Oh, yeah. But so then, you know, then he was a liar. Then he was, like, not true to his word. When nothing was stopping him, but then the machine was against him. He was busting up shit, causing lots of chaos. They were sick of his ass anyways. Yeah. So then that kind of... He would, uh... Yeah. Right. I mean, that... What can you do? Also, we've been talking about Teddy being a warmonger. He kind of stopped being a warmonger when his youngest son died in one of the wars. Mm-hmm. I think it was World War One. It was. Okay. So that kind of... Good documentary is the Roosevelts. It's amazing. Anybody should watch it. It's Ken Burns. I think it's Ken Burns. PBS. Know. The point is, I think even if you sat down to watch it, you'd love it. I mean, it's great. Probably. It's amazing. When I binge PBS documentaries, you know I'm a cool guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's Theodore. It's the hip thing to it's do. It's Theodore, Franklin, and Eleanor. They're all cool. What are the names of the chipmunks? Alvin. Okay, no, no. I was. Are they only after the Roosevelts? <laughs> I had to think for a second. You made me think for a second right? there, as soon as you said With it. With Theodore Elvin. I was thinking Eleanor when I thought Elvin. Huh. Simon. Yeah, so no, nothing. So Chipmunks are in no way related to the Roosevelts. Yeah. I but mean, you could have told me they were, and I would, I, I would not have been able to remember all those <laughs> names. And I would have been like, holy shit. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. Okay. But a few more rooms in this hotel. The gold room, uh, people are said to... Um, Hear unplugged equipment running, turning on from inside the hotel's kitchen. Also worth mentioning, the man who coined the term safety first died here. Huh. Ironic. But his demise was not anything ironic. No. Like tripping out of a window, you know, or falling downstairs. Yeah, I wish or, it was. <laughs> he, he had a heart issue. No. So it's just, so I mean, you know, safety first and he died. Well, it's not, I mean, you want to put a he joke there. He forgot to wear his heart hat. <laughs> I don't know what he forgot to do. Yeah. And finally, uh, the hand of mystery. What? That's worth showing you a picture. Because a rumor spread that a man was imprisoned in concrete within one of the hotel's walls. Okay. So bear with me. Oh, shit. Well, this this is inside one of the rooms. Okay. Looks like a hand, right? Uh, yeah, it definitely looks like a hand. Well, for the longest time, people thought it was a glove. Well, I mean, first, the cool story is someone's in prison there, and they were reaching out, and they died inside the wall. <laughs> well, I mean, that's kind of what it looks like, right. almost. And then for a while, people thought it was like, okay, well, maybe a construction worker like left a glove playing a joke. Yeah. But then the closer look, as they looked at it closer, it um, it looks like it's just how like the plaster dried. Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking... 
and I guess the uh, Mysterious Universe, uh, Adam Seltzer, the guy I talked about before, yeah. he claims to have started the rumor. So, like, we'll just throw that out there. But if he wants to take credit for it, that's his thing. But what if a ghost was reaching out of the wall and it was part corporeal? Mm-hmm. And then it grabbed that beam. And yeah. then it fro- like, that's how it froze. And then just, it's just the like concrete dread. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right? Because it looks like her fucking hand. It looks like a hand. Well, all that history, all that energy, all those deaths focused on to a single piece of real estate in the Windy City. Uh-huh. Even if some of these stories seem like a bit of a stretch and are just stories, I mean, there was even an account of a disco man. Interesting. A oh. ghost that looked like a 1970s club dude. But I resisted the urge to tell you the entire history of disco. <laughs> that's probably a good thing. Yeah, that's where I cut myself off. But all I can say is that if you still venture into that hotel and all you do is come away feeling a little weird, you still got lucky. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. It's a lot going on there. There's a lot going on there. It's a haunted fucking place. Yeah. Would you say most haunted in the world? Uh, People say um, country Illinois. It's on a handful of things, but definitely they say Illinois. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I mean... I mean, it's up there. A chunk of those things are just legitimate murders. Oh, yeah. Like the the, the Spanish-American war captain. Yeah. The the mother who flung herself and her kids off the balcony. Yeah. Not, Not... Yeah. That wasn't the best idea. And the... And allegedly, somebody was, in fact, murdered behind the hotel. I, evidently, I guess it was an article. A one-legged couldn't, clown. Couldn't find it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess the murder came after. Like, they're already seeing ghosts. And, like, a guy got murdered. So it's not his ghost. The ghost was already there. Oh, gotcha. But, yeah. I mean, Char- huh. Charles Conway. Peg-leg killer clown. It's terrifying. It's amazing. It's Imagine, I mean, you're picturing it. Imagine a hallway, imagine a pig leg clown with some weird slingshot and some handkerchief and a doorknob. <laughs> yeah, I'm just imagining like Gacy with a peg leg, and I'm like, whoa. Uh, not nope. not hard good. pass. And I think one of the things I read too is that um Sophie's hands were also like tied together. I mean, I don't know what they were doing to her. Just bad stuff. They weren't just robbing her. No, they were doing God knows what, right? She was gonna die. Yeah. But she did die. And some of the quotes I wanted to read that I couldn't find when I was uh took a second to scroll basically like um the couple wanted to when the couple expressed wanting to leave i had direct quotes from um william sophie's fiance Uh about how instantly charles started to hate them so as soon as he knew like his money ticket was leaving because they just kept giving him money yeah and so they live they're mooching off of him well right yeah so well because they got this rich couple that's just trying to do their thing Right, like, okay, a few bucks. I'm like, okay, because they can afford it, and, like, right. they're friends. Right. But then, of course, eventually it's like, all right, man. Just quit being yeah. a weirdo. Stop. Put the slingshot down, man. <laughs> this is what I do to knock him down. What? Knock who down? Who are you talking about? Let me figure it out. Go back to the circus. And the fact that I found out that he was some kind of... He, he, he was, like, a rich person somehow from Indiana and wasted his fortune. What was he doing? <laughs> Just clowning around. <laughs> all i wanted to do what the fuck but yeah that's the uh that's a little ditty on the uh chicago congress plaza hotel mm-hmm. what a fucking ride it was a ride i really want to stay there sometime 
it's yeah. silly to stay there because I can just drive to the city. But I got a buddy that stays up there. Like it's like a thing him and his family do. Should ask him if he's ever seen anything. Yes, you need to, because I guess they also have like a. I think they have, um, like Halloween bashes and stuff. Huh. That'd be fun to go. That'd be the excuse to go there. That'd be fun. Rent a hotel and go to a Halloween party Does downtown. Sound yeah, sounds real cool. I mean, it's downtown. You can Uber, go, you know, do whatever, then come back to your hotel room. Right. Have fun. Get haunted. That's great. Yeah, it gets scary. Yeah. You know what I would do if I went to that costume party? You know what I would dress up as? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it would be amazing. Just a little mothman running around. <laughs> well, I was <laughs> going to say Teddy Roosevelt. Well, that'd be cool, too. <laughs> Teddy Roosevelt with moth wings and a peg leg. <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> the bull moose. What? <laughs> the bull moose mothman. <laughs> Who do you think you are? Just a guy having fun. But yeah, well, that was, uh, that's weird and feared, baby. Yeah. If you have any stories about experiences you have had in and around uh, the Congress Plaza Hotel. Or anywhere, really. Or anywhere. Send us an email at weirdandfeardpodcast at gmail.com. Hit us up on the Facebook page or the Instagram where you can look at my illustrations I draw about the uh, our beloved podcast. Uh-huh. Got a lot of things putting together. Still got to connect that Patreon, but that's absolutely coming. I got some time coming off this next week where I can accomplish a lot of cool shit for this. Yeah. So that's what I'm doing. And uh, putting together a, uh, a book of sorts. Uh-huh. Also working on that. Got to bang that sucker out. Yeah. And then some other cool merch ideas that are spinning around. Yeah, we got some good ideas. Yeah, so they're coming. But... um. Yeah, this was uh that was a that was a ride. This is always a ride. Yeah. And I'm just trying to think off the top of my head if I have anything else I'd like to mention. I don't know if I do. I'll just throw it out there because I don't know if it's gonna pop up in the recordings at all. But do it. We're extra spooky tonight because we got candles and I put batteries into our recording or battery backup so that it was storming pretty hard. Yes. So I don't know if the mics picked it up at all, but we had some wild thunder going on. Perfect. So we had battery backup candles so even if the power did go out we weren't stopping no that's amazing but see now you just make me want to turn the lights off and have a podcast by candlelight well we don't have the candles it was just i mean it's a little guy (laughs) i know no i see him right no i see him i see him i'm just saying for future uh future spooky times but yeah i mean we're setting the mood for spooky times so yeah i don't know if the thunder got picked up at all but it was raging pretty hard yeah, it really was. It was quite a spectacle. I was hoping I would see a lightning flash come down on the way over here. And, of course, like see a Mothman. Oh, that'd be cool. It would have been great. He wasn't flying around tonight. No, he's like, fuck Because it sucked. It was hailing. Fuck, like, fuck that. It was like hailing for a while. Ah, it's too it's too extreme. Yeah. yeah too, we don't want to damage little membrane wings. No, that wouldn't be good. All right, well, this is Weird and Feared and everybody listening and everybody, everybody at home, everybody in the studio audience that doesn't exist. Yeah. Just, there's, there's no studio audience. There's, there's nothing. Just, nope. just some badass miniatures. Yeah. They look cool. They do look cool. Yeah. All right. You know what else is cool? Stay spooky. Staying spooky. Yep. All Get right. it. Boom. Yeah.